Good evening. A very special thank you to Luli Horowitz, who's sponsoring the share this evening. Lilui Nishmas, her sister Yochevich Shifra Bas Yisrael, her very holy and beautiful Neshama should have an Aliyah. Topic is focusing on the Mashkiach, Rav Matas Yo Solomon, Zechat Tzadik Levracha. We spoke about the great loss for Klal Yisrael and Shabbos, and I wanted to highlight just a couple of points uh, tonight with more of, a, of an emphasis on Amida, Amida of Yishuv Hadas. As a background, there's an incredible letter from Avhudner where he speaks about why did Rav Chaim Velazhin change the description of young men learning in Torah? When he created the Yeshiva in Velazhin, he made sure to no longer refer to the Bachrim as Talmidei HaYeshiva, students of the Yeshiva, but instead he now referred to them as Bnei HaYeshiva, literally the sons, the children of the Yeshiva. And that was very much Bikavana. He made that that shift. So Hutner says, the reason why Rechaim Velazhin changed the expression, the description of men learning in yeshiva from Talmidei yeshiva to Bnei yeshiva can be understood through analyzing the difference between a professor in a secular university teaching students in the classroom and a Rebbe giving over Torah to Talmidim. How would you qualify or quantify the difference between a professor in a classroom and a Rebbe and his Talmidim? Writes Rav Hutner, the difference is essential. It gets down to the very core of what a Rebbe is doing in contrast to what a professor is doing. He says, Anafkamina Shibain student goy Sheshomea Shirami professor, Lebain Lahabdil Elef Alfe Elofim Shmiya Shirame Rav, Hebdil Shibain Minekis Litavochis. It's the difference between a nursing mother and a chef. What's the difference between a nursing mother and a chef, a cook? Explains of Hudner. The nursing mother is giving nutrients to her child from herself, from her very body, from her very essence. The cook in the kitchen, he or she might care about making delicious food that people will enjoy, but it's not coming from themselves. And furthermore, says Rav Hudner, She's actually, right, the, the milk is coming from the blood in the very body of the mother, pulling from the proteins and the sugars and the, uh, the fat from the blood. That's going into the milk. That's becoming the nutrition of the child. As many of you know, when we had our son a few weeks ago, so his blood sugar was very, very low. Hence, he was in the NICU for a few weeks until, Baruch Hashem, he was able to get those numbers up to a, a normal range, and then we had the bris. 
How do you raise your blood sugar? So in more extreme cases, as in ours, right, you have to go on an IV and you have a 10% dextrose or maybe even 12.5 until there's enough going in the system and the, uh, the body is working, the pancreas is doing its thing where it can function on its own. But generally speaking, the whole goal of this transformation of getting a child to a place where their blood sugar is in the normal range is through, is through eating. The sugar from the mommy is obviously necessary for the child's growth and development. So Futner says, that's a minekis. This is also the difference between a professor in a university and a Rebbe and his Talmidim. A professor is sharing something, information, knowledge, but it's not coming from my essence. A Rebbe, when it comes to sharing Torah, it's me'atzmo, it's mahuso, it's coming from who he is, from his very identity. He's taking of himself, he's being moser nefesh le'talmidim, he's giving of himself to his Talmidim. That's why, explains with Hutner, the Rechaim Velazhin felt it necessary to no longer refer to the young men in yeshiva as Talmidei HaYeshiva, they're not just students, but they're B'nai Yeshiva. They're being yonek, they're, they're, they're being nurtured from the different Torah personalities in the yeshiva who are giving of themselves. This particular letter from Rav Hutner is quoted in one of the svarim of the Matnas Chaim, one of the svarim of Ramatas Yo Solomon. And I think the application to who he was in his own life, in his own mission in Kalal Yisrael, anyone you speak to who have had interactions with him, even in passing, and for sure when you speak to his Talmidim, the description of Ramatas Yohu is that in every area of, of Kalal Yisrael as a whole and every need of the individual, he was so laser-focused giving of himself. It wasn't paskating a shayla, sharing information, mi in an external way, but it was his very essence that was coming through in every hadracha, in every aspect of giving advice or encouragement. It was coming from nishmoso umahuso, his very essence, his soul. After giving a shir one time, somebody asked him the question, how long did it take to prepare for that shir? And this is after he was already mashkiach in, in Lakewood. And we know before then he was mashkiach in Gateshead for more than 30 years. So in response to the question of how long did it take you to prepare for that shear, he said, 30 years in Gateshead. That was my preparation. What was unique about Ramatis Yahu was not only there this real intense Mesiris Nefesh, but it always came along with a sense of joy. There's a beautiful uh, piece in Mishnah Srib Aram of Aaron Cutler writes that one of the greatest schusim a human being could have is to be mezaka the rabbin, is to uplift those around him. And a person, the kabbal alav lasos lazikoy rabbin, who accepts upon himself or herself to be there for others, ubezayim shoch. And by being devoted and focused on others, I'm the recipient of this extra love and compassion from Hashem. And writes with Aaron Kadler, 
Even though you're giving of yourself, you're being most nefesh, you shouldn't view it as this overwhelming responsibility, as a yoke, a burden. When a person is able to get into that zone, so to speak, where I'm really devoting my life to focusing on others, so it's not even though I'm Moser Nefesh, I still enjoy the work that I'm doing because it's meaningful. It's the exact opposite. It's because I'm Moser Nefesh, this is the whole focus of my life, that brings me the greatest sense of oneg, of pleasure, of accomplishment. Concludes with Aaron Cutler, Kishayakir, uh, before that he says, because really when we're giving, we're tapping into something that's so indigenous to the neshama. It's so natural. Yoser mimashe ego rotsa lino kapora rotsa lehonik. In a similar analogy that Rav Hutner was using, here of Aaron's quote in Gemarim Sachim, that more than the calf wants to nurse from its mother, the mother wants to express its milk. That's true within the neshama as well. More than we want to take from others, even in Ruchnius, we want to give to others. And when we focus on that, it's not an all, but it's the source of such incredible joy. And in Ramatis Yahu, we saw a Messiris Nefesh, a total self-sacrifice for Klal Yisrael, but not at the expense of his mental health and well-being. If anything, that added to his overall feelings of Simcha Sachayim. What was the source of this devotion, of this joy? We could conjecture. Ultimately, it's very hard to know what the shorish is of any, any godol. But I want to share with you an orachayim that we have in the beginning of the parsha. Le'adabim Moshe, Kein el b'nei Yisrael, v'lo shomel Moshe mikotze ruach u'meyavod kasha. The Kal Yisrael, they were not able to listen to Moshe's message of Geula, literally mikotze ruach, from a shortness of spirit, of breath, u'meyavod kasha, and from very difficult work. The Orachayim is picking up on a grammatical point. The simple reading of the Pasuk would be, they weren't able to pay attention and focus to Moshe, Mikotzer Ruach, because they were short of breath, Kasha, from all of their back-breaking labor. But that's not what the Pasuk says. Mikotzer Ruach, Kasha. It sounds like they're two separate, distinct ideas. There were two things getting in their way of being able to really internalize and listen to the message of Moshe. Writes the Orachayim, Hatam birosam kama kovda leyamamalacha, when Kalal Yisrael saw how much work they had to do, and now that workload was intensified, so kotzru nafsham milvad prat saravoda, besides the actual pain of trying to endure that kind of of slavery, the fact that they were overwhelmed by the task, that was kotzeruach. Vigam mi and the way people work explains the orachayim is, 
When I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I'm lacking the spirit and energy, I'm not able to work well, I'm not able to be productive. Because ultimately, I'm becoming weak to my psychological pain. So what he goes on to explain is that there were two different factors. Mikotza Ruach was psychologically, they were so overwhelmed by the achrayas, by the burden they had, so that made it harder for them to do the work. And doing the work itself also contributed to a sense of Kotza Ruach. The Orachayim, though, says in the very beginning that it could be, and this is a very powerful insight, Perhaps because Klal Yisrael, this is before they received the Torah, they were not yet B'nai Torah, that's why they weren't able to listen, that's why the Kotzer Ruach came in, they were overwhelmed with their, their task. But if theoretically it was the exact same situation, with the same evil decree of Paro, but it was after Klal Yisrael received the Torah, and there was a devotion, and there was a real connection to Torah. Torah is marcheves libo shaladim. It expands a person's heart and mind. It could be they would not have been overwhelmed if they were b'nei Torah. Arachaim is teaching us that so much of what can make life difficult is not only the challenge itself that we're going through, but it's our perspective on that challenge. And you see it in very trivial ways. You know, I have a mother in the kitchen with two of her children, and generally speaking, it's been a wonderful, blissful morning, and everybody is listening well, and there's music in the background, and she just had a great conversation with a friend, and one of the kids spills orange juice all over the kitchen table. What's the reaction? Oh, sweetie, let me get that. Come, I'm going to clean it up, right? If the context was different, where the entire morning has been a disaster and the mother has been up since 4.30 and she's sleep-deprived and she just got off the phone with her mother-in-law and it was not a pleasant conversation and now that same kid spills oranges on the table Rachel, what are you doing? What do you mean? It's the exact same thing, but obviously it's based on how I'm viewing it. So in life, if we don't have Yishuv Hadas, then the Kotzer Ruach gets in the way of having the, the energy and the strength and the fortitude to be able to withstand the challenges of life. I was speaking to one of the Talmidim of Rav Natas Yohu, very Chashiv Rosh Kolel, and he told me in all of his interactions with the Mashkiach, what he always found to be the, the source of the, the clarity and the, the guidance, it was always coming from a place of Yishuv Hadas. Always coming from a feeling of serenity, of Menuchas Nefesh, even though the Mashkiach had a crazy schedule and hundreds of people always knocking on his door, asking for Hadracha. But there was always a sense of Yishuv Hadas that gave him the ability to be totally focused on the task at hand, on the person sitting in front of him, and to have that Simcha Sachayim, that Onig 
of appreciating being there for others. Rav Matis Yo himself speaks about the necessity of Yishuv Hadas. Literally, Yishuv Hadas means the settling of the mind. But incorporated in this is obviously the notion of Menuchas HaNefesh, a feeling of tranquility, of serenity, of inner peace, of calm. One of the 48 ways of acquiring the wisdom of Torah, the Mishnah says, is through Yishuv, through sitting. And one of Rashi's interpretations on the Mishnah, Yishuv is a reference not to sitting in the, uh, in the physical sense, but rather to Yishuv Hadas, the settling of the mind. Explains with Matas Yohu. Kinyin shel Yishuv Hadas hu nochutz mo'od adam, Being able to acquire a sense of serenity, of inner tranquility, it is absolutely necessary for a human being. Because if I live my life where there's a constant bilbul, there's distractions, anxiety is always creeping in, there's always a sense of mode. I can't learn, I can't interact with others in the way that I need to be filling my role as a father, husband, mother, wife, and I go through life b'choser havana v'hasmoda v'hamoka v'iyun, where I'm lacking understanding, I'm lacking consistency, depth, and analysis. Basically, if we're not able to have a kinyan to acquire the midah of Yishuv Hadas to some degree, then by definition I'm living with bilbul das. Bilbul Das, translated is, I'm living superficially. I don't have the Havana, the understanding, the analysis of a situation. And my whole life and every relationship and every bracha and every tefillah will be drastically different without Yishuv Hadas. When Yaakov was giving the brachos to his children, so... With Ruvain, he used the expression pachas kamayim. Pachas kamayim, you're fickle, you're moving around like water. Meaning to say that he was criticizing him for not having more of an anchored approach. Working based on emotion without the proper depth of thought that's required. Explains Rabbi Yeruchim. Rabbi Yeruchim came from the Mesorah of Kelm, which was very much the Mesorah of Ramatis Yahu. Rabbi Ruchim writes on the top of page 3, very rarely in the Chumash do we have a tzir, a picture that's painted for us by the Torah. We have storyline, we have halacha, we have hashkafa, obviously, that's derived from every, every word of Torah. But the idea of the Torah itself using a picture to bring out a point is not so common. Pachas Kamayim is one of those rare exceptions. Explains Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz, the Torah is actually giving us a tzivui. It's instructing us. In order to fully appreciate the midah 
the destructive nature of going through life superficially and distracted and constantly allowing my phone to get in the way of my existence and my consciousness, you have to picture, picture water. Water in a container, if you move it even slightly, it moves, it goes back and forth. There's no sense of stability. I should picture that, and I should think, I should contemplate. How does this apply to me? How is it possible, and why is it still true at this point of my life, where where I am, and everything I've accomplished in the outside world, why is it still the case that even a tenua kala, a slight move, could just totally shift my emotion? My moods could just swing. I feel like I'm not anchored. That's pachas kamayim. Says Rabbi Rucham, the reason why the Torah paints a picture for us is it wants to bring home this message. Understand that you need to be firm. You need to be stable. There has to be a sense of Yishuv Hadas where I'm not allowing the world around me and the Kotzer Ruach and all of the distractions to get in my way and move me from where I am and what I need to be doing. Concludes Rabbi Yeruchim, we can't be like Mayim, we can't be like water. We have to be Koferis, we have to be like lead. This is who I am, this is what I stand for, this is my role right now, this is my responsibility. And come all of the, the winds and the storms, it's not going to shake me or move me from what I need to be focused on. <clears throat> I want to jump here to the end of page four. One beautiful example that we find in the writings of the Mashkiach, coming from a place of Yishuv Hadas and understanding with a sense of tranquility, priorities, what I need to be focused on, and making sure that all of the thousands of Talmidim in the B'nai Torah have this proper she'ifa, they have an ambition what they're striving for. Now he did that in all of his shirim and all of his lectures and all of the svarim we have, but he also accomplished that just by his very mahus, his very essence. When you were in his presence, there was almost this feeling of, of wanting to be more like him because it was so real, it was so attractive. One example that he speaks about, using the famous terminology of Reb Dessler, how there are two types of human beings in the world. You have takers and you have givers. We take, based on the natural, physical, um, tendencies, but to be more godlike, to accomplish our role, the halach, the bedrachov, to emulate the divine, it's about transforming ourselves into people who are looking to give and uplift others. But he poses the following question If you're sitting in yeshiva all day, so on one hand you might be kulo ruchani, you're so spiritual and you're focused on, on the Devar Hashem. And your whole life is learning and davening. But if a person is not careful and thoughtful, explains Rebmatis Yahu, 
I could be sitting in yeshiva all day and accomplishing a lot in my knowledge of Torah, but I might be more and more selfish if I don't have the right perspective. If my only thought is, I want to be greater, but it's more of the I, and it's focused on me becoming something where it's coming from the ego, then I'm growing in my Torah, but I'm becoming more of a taker and less of a giver. How is it possible to be sitting and learning where my focus is actually on others and not myself? Reminds me, we had many years ago at the ladies' year, there was uh, somebody visiting from out of town, not one of the community members, and we were having a Q&A, and she raised her hand and she asked the following question. Rabbi, can you please explain to me this whole dynamic of guys getting married and then they learning yeshiva for five, seven, ten years and their wives are trying to bring in money for the family. What an incredibly selfish pursuit. How do you explain that? Is that really what God wants? So I asked her what her husband does for a living. I was hoping she would say doctor, but she didn't say that. So I'm like, okay, let me give you an analogy. If your husband was a doctor, now part of getting to that point in life is you have to go to medical school. And then you're a resident and a fellow, and you end up spending many, many, many years in a selfish pursuit. You're not really making money. You could be married for five years, you're not making anything. And your wife is the one who has to bring in the income for that time. What kind of selfish dynamic is that? No, that's very different, because there, he's going to medical school with a real purpose in mind to be productive. Okay, so if we believe that by going to yeshiva or kolel for many years, we also have a real purpose in mind, which is to be productive, so that's not selfish. If anything, and, and there's two levels. One is, mystically speaking, we believe, as the Chazanish writes in a letter and many other Mekoros from Nefesh and elsewhere, we believe that every word of sincere Torah that is learned has an incredible impact on the entire universe. And we also think in practical terms, if by me sitting here and learning and acquiring wisdom, I'm doing so not just for myself, but it's Torah's chesed al-lashona. I'm learning this Torah to be able to share with others in whatever capacity. If I go into the chinuch world, if I go into becoming a rabbi, or if I'm a businessman, but I want to share what I've learned, that's not selfish. Ramatis Yo would often say, as you're learning, make sure you have in mind you're doing this for Klal Yisrael. It's not just about you. What I found remarkable, I was looking through the, the Hespedim in the back of the Mishnah's Rav Aram, and the third volume, different eulogies that Rav Aram Cutler gave when Gedolim passed away. And I was going through what he said when Rav Dessler passed away. Now we just observed the 70th yard site of Rav Dessler, Zechet Tzadik V'Kodesh Levracha, and I want to read to you a few lines that Aaron Cutler said at the funeral of Rav Dessler. And I think 
they have an incredible application to the, the persona and the legacy of the Mashkiach Ramatis Yohu. Said of Aaron Kodler, Hafsid Godel Hula Olam, Siluk Shel Bal Machshova, Amuka Ben Yone Musar Vyirishimayim. It is such a loss to the world that we no longer have this master of Machshova Amuka, of deep thought, of Musar. Because there are so few that had that same depth, that same analysis, like Reb Dessler had. Yitochein, Reb Aaron Cutler said, it's possible that a person could be a Ben Torah, Ubal Kishon, he could be very bright and accomplished. Ve'yuuvas yisodei hados, ve'yisodei ha-Torah chas v'sholom, but without the proper depth and training and misora in the world of Musr and Machshava, that same brilliant person might have a corrupt, warped view of some of the foundations of our belief. And that's for sure true if he's also heard other secular ideas outside of the Olam HaTorah. It could even be, Rav Aaron said, that a person who means well and who learns and is accomplished in his learning without the foundation of Hashkafa and Musr, you could end up pursuing the victim and thinking that you're pursuing the aggressor. You might be standing up for the wrong cause. Now, he writes these words in 1953. And if they were true in 1953, I assume they're very much relevant as well in 2024. Bedorza and our generation, Shirobu Ma'od Hashibushim Bedeos. There are so many people, unfortunately, who don't have, who have mistakes, who have misunderstandings of Hashkafa. Vegabnis Avru Eitzel Chelke B'nei Torah, Deos Kozvos, Me'umos Ola. And even in the realm of the B'nai Torah, they also have warped hashkafa coming from the outside world, not coming from the panemius of Torah. Godla mo'od nechitsus limud ha-musr v'yizchazkus ba. Therefore now in 1953, we have such an incredible responsibility to make sure that we're learning Musr, to be strengthening ourselves in, in the foundations of Yiddishkeit. If Rabbi Yisrael Salanter in the 1800s felt that it was necessary to incorporate Musr in our daily of Odes Hashem, so he concludes, How incredibly necessary is it now? Rabbi Aaron was saying this regarding Rabbi Dessler, and we heard from all of the Gedolim in the Torah world, this is pretty much what they said <laughs> regarding Ramatis Yohu. To lose someone of that depth, a personality who was so Moser Nefesh, nurturing Kalal Yisrael, but in a way that we saw the Simcha, we saw the Oneg, we saw his pleasure in the Mesiris Nefesh, coming from that, that source of Yishuv Hadas not allowing the complexities or the distractions 
or the aggravations of life to get in the way, but always maintaining that sense of, of stability. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want from me? What does He want from you right now? That's why His guidance was so on the ball. That's why when you speak to any of the Talmidim, they tell you, even if I didn't speak to the Mashkiach in many years, I would call him up, and within a few minutes, he would be so in my world, understanding where I was coming from, oftentimes even more than I understood myself. From that source of Yishuv Hadas. I think the greatest chizik we can give to ourselves and to others is to follow in this in this legacy. The idea of, of learning Musr, of working and training ourselves in Yishuv Hadas, trying to picture Pachas Kamaim, I don't want to be fickle. I don't want to be able to be moved in any which direction based on the, uh, the winds blowing. I want to be stable, I want to be strong. And through that Yishuv Hadas, we should also, Mitzvah Bizocha, to clarity, clarity in Hashkafa, and clarity in doing what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants us to do. Shkoyach. Thank you.